This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 287. What the FTX? Crypto from the Crypt. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Wait a minute, you didn't know we had a YouTube channel? That's right, we put content that we don't put anywhere else on YouTube, and you need to see it to believe it. So be sure to follow, like, and subscribe our channel so you won't miss a thing. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode. Now I'm going to take us back to mid-December 2022, where Sam Bankman-Fried was indicted by the U.S. government. He's been charged with the conspiracy to commit wire fraud on customers, the conspiracy to commit wire fraud on lenders, conspiracy to commit commodity fraud, conspiracy to commit securities fraud, and conspiracy to commit money laundering, and conspiring to defraud the United States and for violating campaign finance laws. Phew, that is quite a resume. In fact, if Bankman-Fried is convicted, uh, all his assets that were acquired as a result of all this fraudulent activity is going to be subject to forfeiture. So in other words, whatever is left of his billions will be gone. Of course, that may be the least of SBF's concerns. But why all this fuss? Now, Sam Bankman-Fried, or SBF as he's called, was the founder and CEO of the cryptocurrency exchange FTX and cryptocurrency trading firm Alameda Research. FTX was an international exchange for cryptocurrency based in the Bahamas, and they were known for being a trader-focused exchange and one of the largest in the world. In fact, as recently as late last year, a post I found online talking up the benefits of FTX called it the best crypto exchange. It said, and I quote, FTX is one of the world's largest digital currency exchanges alongside giants like Coinbase, Binance, and Kraken. It's backed by top tier investors like Alameda Research, the largest liquidity provider and market maker in the crypto space and recently raised a United States dollar amount of $420 million in new funding rounds from 69 investors, including Temasek, BlackRock, and Sequoia, giving it ample capital, ample capital to grow in the years ahead, end quote. My, my, the years have been hard on FTX, how quickly those years flew by. Now, many people know that they recently had a massive blow up uh, and it's been all over the news. FTX is now bankrupt, and Sam Bankman-Fried is, of course, uh, headed for likely a court hearing. The SEC accused the founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, also known as SBF, of defrauding investors of $1.8 billion. That's the investors. Uh, this is what FTX raised from equity investors. But on top of all of that money, FTX also got money from customers to buy crypto. So it's not certain we'll ever know how much money they took from customers, but the balance sheet that was first published by the Financial Times showed that it had more than $5.2 billion of real people money here. That's real people's money that they had hoped to have for their retirement, for their future. And quite candidly, I've met some of the victims of Sam Bankman-Fried's scheme. 
There was a person recently appointed as the new CEO of FTX, and he's now in charge of winding down this fraudulent company and sorting everything out. And this is the same CEO that was brought in to clean up the mess that Enron made. According to this person, FTX is far worse than anything he saw at Enron. He says, and I quote, never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred at FTX. This is John J. Ray, the current CEO of FTX, and he said these words to Congress. So what's the big deal? What were they actually doing that was so wrong? Well, SBF and his buddies at FTX were taking money that their customers were depositing into their FTX accounts, and they were taking that money, and in many cases, it wasn't even money anymore. It was just tokens. They were taking these tokens over to Alameda Research where they were then speculating on their own crypto and losing because cryptocurrencies, as you guys know, have collapsed over the last 6 to 12 months. So they were basically embezzling the money, which is, of course, illegal. You don't have permission to take someone's money and go gamble with it without their permission. In fact, they're representing to their customers that they're not doing any of that, that their money was safe. And yet that's exactly what they were doing. And then they took that money and they gambled with it and they lost it. But, you know, honestly, even if they hadn't lost the money, even if, even if the gambles had paid off, that would not have made it right. They would have gotten away with it, except for that crypto collapse that we had last fall. If they could have taken the money and gambled and made money and then returned it, maybe they could have gotten away with it. But, of course, that's not what happened. In fact, if I were to guess, the way things went down, they were probably initially thinking to themselves, hey, you know, we could take some of this money. Nobody's going to notice it. We're pretty smart. We're going to trade this money. We're going to make a bunch of money in the meantime, and then we'll put the money right back, and nobody's going to know. No one's going to get hurt, and we'll make all this money except. Except the trades did not work out the way they thought, and of course, they ended up losing money, and then they were probably thinking, okay, well, we lost some money. We need to take just a little bit more from our customers, but we'll make it back. We'll put back what we lost. We'll put back that money, and everybody will be fine. But of course, the crypto kept losing, they kept losing value, and the more and more they dug, they kept digging themselves deeper and deeper into the grave, until at one point they had no choice but just to keep digging, because the minute they stopped digging, the whole thing would collapse. And so at that point, they were desperate, and the only chance was riskier and riskier bets, which only ended them digging into a deeper and deeper hole. It also turned out that most of the assets on their balance sheet was, in fact, their own FTX token which was the native token of FTX. So you would use their token to get a discount on the trade at their own platform. It'd be sort of like taking uh, coupons to the grocery store and then using that uh, to make sure that you're always coming back to that grocery store because you've got their coupons. But of course, people bought this token with the idea that the FTX framework and network was going to continue to grow and that these tokens would be more and more valuable, these FTX tokens. So SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried and all of his buddies, was literally they were writing their own checks that nobody was going to cash. And then they pretended that they had all this money for their customers, but uh, they were you know, borrowing against all that money, that fake money. And while they were levering up, they were saying, hey, you know, we've got this collateral, which is basically our own tokens, our own IOUs for ourselves, and we'll borrow against that token. And of course, when the value of that token imploded, which is exactly what happened in the fall, there goes everybody's money, including Sam Bankman-Fried. Now, that's the 
story anyway. None of this has been confirmed in the courts. We'll see if this is all exactly how things went down. What we can also find is that there was a significant amount of collusion with the government, the U.S. government. Sam Bankman-Fried was a big proponent of something he called effective altruism. He was known for donating all of this money he had to different politicians on both sides of the aisle. And he coincidentally, or maybe not so coincidentally, is evading jail time and arrests uh, at the same time as all these customers of his have lost all this money. Uh, and he's going through what looks like a big Ponzi scheme. In fact, basically a Ponzi scheme larger than Charles Ponzi could have ever imagined. But this is not about crypto. This is about Sam Bankman-Fried trying to change the world so he could list every single product under the scam that he was trying to take advantage of with crypto. See, the crypto industry is still relatively small, big picture-wise, but if he could deploy his model of his tokens being traded on a platform, his model in the U.S. Treasury market, let's say, or the let's say even the U.S. agricultural market, can you imagine the kind of damage this human being could have done to our country or to this world? And when you look at the people who were with him, I was checking out some of the people in his in his cadre, Mark Wetjen, he, he was the former commissioner of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. And he also served as acting chairman for the CFTC. He was the head of policy and regulatory strategy at FTX, the same guy. So this is the top Washington advisor for Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO of FTX. Sam Bankman-Fried is basically walking around like this guy is his, his Batman and Robin. And this was, of course, giving Sam Bankman-Fried significant credibility as investors were looking at these Washington insiders connected to Sam, uh, basically attached to the hip. Also, as recent as June 2022, just recently, just a few months before the breakup of Sam Bankman-Fried's empire, FTX was still collecting lobbyists like baseball cards. The former top Republican on the House Agricultural Committee, Mike Conaway, had just signed with a cryptocurrency client, the platform FTX. Does that sound familiar? So he moved from the Agricultural Committee in Congress to FTX, the crypto exchange that blew up. And FTX continued to add lobbyists, Mike Conaway, Scott Graves, and Matt Valesco, according to a lobbying disclosure filed in the fall. Their goal was to plan to lobby for FTX on congressional and executive branch issues related to the formation of orderly digital asset markets. Now, with all this collusion and with all this fraud going on, some people are calling for more regulation. But honestly, I'm not buying it. Fraud is already illegal. What are we going to do? Make it double illegal to do what Sam Bankman-Fried did? No, if new regulation is imposed on crypto, what's going to happen is it's going to push out the innovators and only consolidate the fraud into the big players. Sam Bankman-Fried was just one among many. I mean, I don't know how much more regulation you're going to need to stop any of this happening. To be honest, in a way, it actually reminds me a bit about the crisis of 2008. Then we were told by so many people, in fact, many of the same people calling for regulation on crypto today, was that what we need is just more regulation. If we had more regulation, this whole fraud thing would not have happened, they say. Think back to 2008. In 2008, the big watchdog, the Federal Reserve, did not see the mortgage crisis coming. And leading up to 2008, the Federal Reserve was asleep at the switch, saying everything was fine and the subprime mortgage risk was contained. 
And on the eve of the crisis, if you were to combine state, federal, and local banking institutions, we had 115 regulatory bodies overseeing the banking system, 115 regulatory bodies. So I'm supposed to believe that if we'd only just had 116 regulatory bodies, that one extra one would have prevented 2008 from happening? No, of course not. Regulation doesn't solve the problem here. But at the same time, crypto is more volatile than bank deposits and certainly more risky than my life insurance contractual cash value. I don't worry that my money is sitting in a bank or my life insurance policy. I don't worry that it's going to disappear because some jerk is in charge of the bank. I don't really have to worry all that much because realistically, it's safe. It's secure. But with Bitcoin or other crypto, apparently I do have to worry about that. Unfortunately, investors did not do enough due diligence in their research and their study of what was happening at Sam Bankman-Fried's office. I think it's also fair to point out that there was quite a bit of mania happening in the crypto space uh, that we've seen in the Brado crypto market, actually, over the last few years. That there have been these phases, actually, of mania and depression, uh, peaks and troughs, and all this venture capital was pouring into crypto up through last fall, people running to invest and customers totally ignoring all the warning signs. It's a classic bubble move. And in fact, it's a necessary thing to see these reactions happen. We want to keep these bubbles uh, left to their own devices. Cryptocurrencies are built and have unfortunately made it easier as a scam vector. And Almost now, it's probably fair to point out that FTX was operating as an offshore exchange, operating offshore, made it easier for them to go and do all the crazy things that they were doing and offering this crazy yield uh, to the buying public and their, their customers. The U.S. domestic operations couldn't do that. The likes of Coinbase and Gemini and other large U.S.-based exchanges just could not do what some of the products were doing at FTX. For example, FTX had their own exchange coin called FTX. So basically, they created their own coin. And so they would keep some of their own coin and then sell some of it onto the market. They used some of that coin themselves as collateral for loans. And so this whole thing was this massive house of cards that fundamentally couldn't stand. So this is sort of a rehypothecation on top of rehypothecation of their own token. And this kept going on and on, and they kept levering up and levering up until the whole Ponzi scheme came falling down. And so I think what's required is for people to be vigilant. And obviously, to if you have crypto, to hold on to your own keys and your own coins and your own hardware wallet or device and to be really careful to heed the warnings uh, of what we're seeing now in the news and in this world. For example, there's been a Luna implosion, Celsius, BlockFi, Voyager, now FTX. All these companies are blowing up or going into bankruptcy and it's starting to look like a, not just a crypto winter, but a crypto war zone. This big mania is unwinding. The bubble is popping into the broader crypto world. What we saw was, I think, an implosion of Luna, right? So basically another Ponzi scheme, Luna was, and, and that imploded there where other ripple effects then came in and other exchanges got exposed and the big funds are starting to blow up. And then we saw Celsius blow up. And then we saw BlockFi it blow up. And at that point, FTX was bailing out supposedly BlockFi and Voyager. So now we know what was really going on was FTX was not some sort of lender of last resort like the big mega banks of JP Morgan or the Fed. 
It was actually that Sam Bankman-Fried was trying to shore up his own position in FTX when he was trying to, you know, right-size BlockFi and Voyager. And now we're just, as we're recording this, BlockFi has come out with their own bankruptcy proceedings, also because their bailout was contingent on FTX. So oppose, uh, obviously, FTX is losing their funds, and, and, and that made it really difficult for BlockFi to continue. I mean, some of this is kind of comical if it wasn't so sad for folks who'd really lost real money. There were some things that were really kind of silly. You know, for example, employees at FTX were submitting their expense reimbursements over a chat, and then a manager would accept or reject the expense with an emoji sign. Like, seriously, an emoji sign for expense reimbursements? What kind of company runs like this? Fundamentally, there was no corporate control. And there were party loans, related party loans. Alameda, the fund, gave Sam Bankman-Fried a $1 billion loan. So that's kind of a conflict of interest there, right? That's a related party loan right there. There were bad record keepings. There were no board meeting minutes. There was no cash management system at this exchange. So were there warning signs that people should have seen? Sure. I think there were some warning signs for people who were willing to do their due diligence, but unfortunately, I think what happened is that the mania, the excitement, stopped people from really being able to do much due diligence. And I'll actually give one more example. What happens for some of these venture capital investors is that is they see a lot of their peers, the, a lot of their buddies, getting into the exciting rounds of investing, and they're worried that, hey, if I don't get in, I'll miss my spot. And so it's that fear of missing out among the cap venture capitalists. And there's this time pressure from folks like Sam Bankman-Fried or others who are raising the money. And they'll say, hey, look, buddy, we need an answer. We need you to put your money in if you're going to get in at this round of investing. So I think that aspect of it also explains why some of these venture capitalists and others were not doing the right level of due diligence, you know, which is what they should have been doing. I think... What happened for a lot of the customers on these platforms was also a similar mindset. We're in this very low interest rate environment. We were last year anyway. And, you know, you want some yield to keep up with the unnecessary inflation that we were experiencing. And, hey, you're getting some of these great platforms like FTX and more giving out all this incredible yield and making all these promises. And you don't want to miss out. It's the FOMO phenomenon. And there was this kind of reputational laundering happening too. Because what people would do is instead of saying, oh, I'm going to go directly invest in some of these random altcoins or invest in some of these weird, crazy yield farming platforms, instead they'd put their money with the likes of Celsius or BlockFi or FTX. And then uh, they would go out and put the money into some of these weird altcoins and platforms. And so fundamentally, people were just not recognizing the nature of risk of the cryptocurrency industry. That ignorance drove much of the mania, which drove these crazy valuations, and ultimately, the bubble popped. And in the midst of all this, Bitcoin, the great granddaddy of all cryptocurrencies, is down as of this recording roughly 76% from its recent high last summer. This is the second time in 12 months that it has dropped more than 70%. Guys, two different times losing 70% in the same 12-month period. So this is not exactly a store of value. Still, it's not out of the woods. Who knows? Bitcoin could make a major comeback. 
But please be sure to avoid the human errors that so many people made with FTX and with all these other coins. Greed being a big one. Being rushed into a decision is another big one. And reputational laundering. These are three major mistakes that were made. And I think we can all learn from in the midst of the fallout of FTX. So do not be among the next batch of suckers. The phrase stablecoin now sounds almost ironic after Terra Luna collapsed, after the cryptocurrency lender Celsius Network froze all their account withdrawals, citing extreme market conditions. The cryptocurrency market has lost more than $2 trillion in just a matter of months. For some of crypto's fiercest critics, crypto winter has become more of a crypto ice age and proof that they were right all along. Molly White, who is a software engineer, she runs this great website called Web3 is going just great. Now, Web3 is sort of a synonym for cryptocurrency and similar uh, platforms and technologies. So the, the website Web3 is going just great is sort of an ironically named website that meticulously documents exchange hacks, rug pulls, crashes, and stolen NFTs. The site even features a grift counter which adds up the losses of all the scams, all the fraud that Molly White has documented, and it's approaching now $12 billion. So check that website out. It's a lot of fun, as long as you're okay with a little bit of gallows humor. Okay, so as we wrap up, Bill Maher had a great couple of takeaways, and he's got this famous video out there talking about crypto and its shortcomings. Here are nine reasons not to get into crypto. Number one, there is nothing there. Guys, there is nothing there. There's no real asset underlying cryptocurrency. At least with the dollar, there are the capital of the United States, the airports, the real estate, the military might, all the things that make the United States what it is, is what's backing the value of that dollar. And things like gold, there's an implicit value in gold because you can use it for something. There is no internal value to a cryptocurrency, except the faith that somebody else is going to buy it at a higher price than you bought it for. So it's the greater fool theory. Second, it's an extremely volatile asset. It is not a store of value. If money is anything, it's a store of value. But with crypto showing itself to be extremely volatile, I have yet to see a good reason to call it a store of value. Number three, value is based on popularity. Yeah, it's the greater fool theory. Uh, whoever is going to Invest in crypto believes that somebody else will buy that to token or coin for a higher price in the future until somebody says, no, thank you. And then the whole house of cards comes crashing down. Number four is it's difficult to store securely. You guys realize that, you know, to get access to this, you have to have a password or a set of keys. And that can be great, but it, it can also be detrimental. If you forget that key, you could lose your money. Guys, I can't remember my MySpace password. How am I supposed to remember a, a long series of 12 words or whatever to get access to my crypto? And what if I pass away and I forget to tell my spouse or kids how to get into my crypto? That's just money gone to the ether forever. It's also available for scammers and hackers. Number five, watch out for scammers and hackers. Again, check out web3isgoingjustgreat.com uh, for more on that fun stuff. Number six, there is no central exchange, no central body to help you understand the value of what you're getting into. And there's no legal recourse if you lose it. No legal recourse if you lose it or if you're scammed out of uh, your cryptocurrency. 
Number eight, there's a tax calculation nightmare. Now, this one could get better if the IRS gets clear on their view of cryptocurrency, but currently it's a tax calculation nightmare. And number nine, the cost of entry and the cost of trades. It was supposed to be a seamless, frictionless process, but so far I have not seen the cost of getting into crypto or the cost of trades worth the squeeze. So I've talked in a previous episode, episode 183, what about bank on yourself and Bitcoin, about ways you can profit from crypto no matter what the markets are doing and use bank on yourself to help you make smart investment decisions in your crypto space. But please, whatever you do, don't take this as investment advice and do not be hoodwinked by the grifters that are out there. They are still out there, guys. So keep your eyes wide open. Hope this has been a helpful sort of splash of cold water. And I hope it's been something that's given all of us a reminder that, hey, we're never beyond human emotion like greed and the belief that we want something to go up, even if there's nothing uh, fundamentally supporting it. So keep an eye out for that as you look at your options for investing and more and never take unnecessary risks with money you cannot afford to lose. Hope this has been a helpful episode. Give me your comments and feedback. You can find me at notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. Click on request a meeting. I'd love to get your feedback. If there's one thing I can say for sure, I am going to be wrong about something in this crypto space. Uh, it's just something I think we're all still learning about. But So please understand that as you listen to this episode and reach out to me if you'd like to chat. notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com. Click on request a meeting, and I'd love to hear your opinions on what you're learning in this crypto space. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.